0: Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Be with us now. May my words and all our hearts and thoughts give you honour and glory. Amen. I am so glad to be spending this year journeying through God's big story as told over the whole sweep of the Bible. Although we have the Old Testament, in fact the Bible, divided up into books and chapters and verses, and it can be thought of as a library, we're seeing also how it can be seen as one big story, God's story, of creation and salvation. <clears throat> Sometimes whole periods of history, hundreds of years, skipped over or are told in a few sentences, while other times we zoom in to the life of one person or one family. So over the past few weeks, we've seen the big picture of creation. And then we've zoomed in to see Adam and Eve. But then out again, And then we've met in detail Abram, who became Abraham, and imagined what God could have meant by his promise that Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. This in to one person and then out to the big picture, this zooming happens again and again right through the Bible. At the moment, we're in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. We've been through Genesis, and today we're at the beginning of Exodus, which connects so firmly to Genesis before it that in Hebrew, though it's missing in the English translations, it actually begins with the word and, in case we missed it. The last verse of Genesis is about the death of Joseph. And it says, when Jacob and his family came to Egypt to be with Joseph, there were 70 of them. And time went by. But the Israelites multiplied until they filled the whole land. It was a long time and perhaps it was as much as 400 years until the next thing the story focuses on. A time when a new king, a pharaoh, came along who didn't even remember the time of Joseph. And he was utterly fed up with all these unwanted Hebrews and determined to deal with the problem. Unwanted immigrants overrunning the place, stealing our jobs. Can't you just imagine what they said? Maybe they'll turn against us if an enemy attacks. Does that remind you of anything? That attitude exists all across our world today, including in Australia. It may have happened thousands of years ago, but this story is as current as today's newspaper. (coughs) Making them work as slave labourers didn't stop the Hebrews from breeding, Turning up the heat on what they had to do, treating them with ruthless cruelty didn't work either. There were more and more of them all the time. Finally, Pharaoh had had enough and decided on genocide, that all the baby boys born to the Hebrews must be killed. First he gave orders to the Hebrew midwives to kill them at birth. The little girls could be let to live, little boys killed straight away. But there's a wonderful story in chapter one of Exodus, and I really recommend you look at it during the week, about two of the Hebrew midwives called Pua and Shifra who feared God and cleverly thwarted Pharaoh's plan. So then the order was given to all the people that every newborn Hebrew baby boy was to be thrown into the Nile and left to drown. And as a result of those words, Just imagine how much depth of pain and trauma would be caused. These were not just boys, they were sons in families. Such cruelty. Quick question, when is your birthday? I bet you can answer that really quickly. Why? Because it's important. It's remembered and celebrated every year, often with a party. The birth of a baby is a cause for great celebration. This week, Mel and John Grouse became grandparents to the beautiful Elijah and we rejoice with them. It should be a great celebration. A whole new individual person has joined the human race. Wonderful. I certainly remember seeing my two daughters for the first time with just great joy and amazement. If you're a parent, I imagine you did too. But of course, there are reasons that mothers might dread the birth of a baby. All over the world, babies are born into places of great conflict and poverty and pain. Many of those were born today. I remember one of the women I knew in the jail through our Kairos ministry who'd been very pregnant the last time I saw her. And the following week, she wasn't pregnant any longer. Having given birth, had her baby immediately taken into the care of someone else, and she was back in jail the same day. She said to me, they kept saying, push, push. But I didn't want to, because as long as she was inside me, she was mine. But as soon as she came out, she'd be taken. And she was. Such pain in what should have been a time of joy. It was like that when the baby in our story was born. Can you imagine The tears and grief of his mother, hearing his lusty newborn cries and the words, It's a boy. Oh, no. And such a beautiful boy. The very idea of losing him would be unbearable. Though they're not named in the reading we had, the couple were called Jochebed and her husband Amram. They're listed in the lists of of people in chapter 6 of Exodus. And we know that they were Levites. So, so those centuries had passed, they surely knew the stories that had been passed down to them of the faithfulness of God to Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob, Rachel and Leah. Was it possible that God could be so gracious to them as well so many centuries later? It must have seemed impossible. But the determined Jochebed would do her very best to save this fine baby boy if she could. I wonder if she wondered if God could possibly spare him as he had Isaac. For three months, Jochebed kept him hidden at who knows what personal peril. But of course that couldn't last forever. Anyone who's tried to keep a healthy baby boy quiet, baby boy or girl quiet, knows that. So she thought of a way to do what she must, but to do it in the least dreadful way she could think of. She found a papyrus basket with a covering, lined it with pitch and tar to make it watertight, and I bet she found a soft lining for it. And with a final hug, she placed her baby in it with her tears and her love and a kiss. It was no flimsy little craft. The word used for it is the same word used for the ark. And she set it in the shallow part of the side of the river where the reeds and bulrushes grew out of sight of the bank but not in the main flow of the river either. And just to be sure that she knew what would happen happen next, she sent her daughter to keep watch. And I bet she prayed and asked God to remember him. But even Jochebed couldn't have imagined what God would do next. He did have this little baby very much in his sights and none of Pharaoh's wicked intent would stand in the way. Because just at that very moment, one of Pharaoh's daughters fancied a swim. So she went down to the river with her attendants. As they walked by, she saw the little basket eddying around in the reedy water and sent one of her slave girls to get it. Uncovering the basket, she said, this is one of the Hebrew babies. And the baby was crying and her heart was moved. How wonderful, but how amazing to find that in the very heart of the palace of Pharaoh was someone so compassionate who didn't just feel sympathetic, but acted on it. Jochebed's foresight in asking her resourceful daughter to keep watch paid off because she was able to offer to find a Hebrew woman to nurse and look after the baby, his own mother, of course. And can you imagine the joy they felt in having him back in his own home, this time with his upkeep being paid by none other than Pharaoh himself? How good could God be? No one could touch him now that he was under the powerful royal protection, being raised a Hebrew, but with the privileges and protection of Egypt. Ultimately, when he was older, Jochebed did take him to Pharaoh's daughter to raise him as her own. And in the way the story is told, that's when finally we find out his name, as the princess names him Moses, probably an Egyptian diminutive name and a pun on the word for water, saying, I drew him out of the water. And that, in the storybooks, would be the end of the story. We hear no more about Moses' childhood. In fact, in the very next verse, he's all grown up. But of course, it wasn't the end. It was only the beginning. Moses became, as we now know, one of the most important of God's servants of all time, a great leader and prophet and man of God, The life of Moses frames all of the rest of the books of the Torah, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, all about Moses and the things that he did and the things that God did through him. God spoke to him in the burning bush in Midian, sending him back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Through him, God brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. Through him, God spoke to his people, It was with Moses as his messenger that God first proclaimed his covenant with Israel and called them his treasured possession. Through him, they received the commandments and the laws, including those forbidding the people of Israel to treat strangers in their land in the same way they had been treated by Pharaoh. Under Moses' leadership, the people were brought through the wilderness almost to the promised land. We'll be getting to know Moses quite well in the next few weeks of sermons. And beyond even that, Moses is remembered throughout history. Jesus spoke of Moses. Moses was with Elijah and Jesus at the Transfiguration. There are many parallels between the life of Moses and Jesus, and I think it's a really interesting thing. I recommend you have a good think about that this week, how many parallels you can think of. Ray read for us in the New New Testament lesson what happened to Stephen in the book of Acts, falsely accused of blaspheming the name of Moses and stoned to death for it. But before they killed him, he spoke about what God had done in the lives of the people of Israel, and he spoke a lot about the life of Moses. And the writer of the letter to the Hebrews also wrote about Moses as a great man of faith, But without the courageous acts of the most unexpected of people, Moses' life could have ended right at the very beginning of it. God used the bravery of the Hebrew midwives to preserve the lives of many children. He used the love of Moses' mother Jochebed and his sister, probably Miriam, and he used the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter as well. In fact, the writer of one commentary I read pointed out the irony of Pharaoh wanting to kill all the sons of the Hebrews, presumably because the daughters were insignificant, only to have a whole lot of daughters, including his own, be the ones who thwarted his plan and protected Moses from harm. It's interesting to note that God is not specifically mentioned in this whole story, but it's so clear that he's there behind every part of it, working out his purpose. he promised that he would be, and he was. Back in Genesis 15, when God was promising to Abram that he would give him the land, but not yet, he told him, "'Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers "'in a country not their own. "'They will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years.'" but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And then in Genesis 46, we hear God speaking to Jacob and saying, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and will surely bring you back again. God was there all along. There are so many coincidences in the story. The timing of Pharaoh's daughter's desire for a swim, the timing of the baby's cries, the need for a Hebrew nurse. God's people acted with courage and resourcefulness in a horrifically hard time. They didn't know what was going to happen before it happened. It was, as one theologian has said, experience without explanation. They had to depend on what they had been taught of God from long ago. As we journey through the Bible this year, we'll see this over and over. The future of the people of Israel will look very fragile many times as huge powers threaten to wipe them out. And yet, God was still at work because he is faithful and never forgot his plan of promise and salvation. We'll notice too, as Rod pointed out to me, that at several very significant moments of change, there is an important birth in the story of the Bible. That's something to look out for and to think about. Think of Ruth's baby, Obed, who became the grandfather of David and of Hannah's son, Samuel. Think, of course, of the birth of John the Baptist and birth of Jesus himself. Because, of, of course, hundred years, hundreds of years after this, another wicked ruler ordered the murder of all the baby boys. We know that story well too, don't we? Herod ordering all the baby boys in Bethlehem under two to be killed. He was desperate to get rid of the baby he had heard was to become the king of the Jews. Isn't it extraordinary to think that the baby Jesus escaped because of God's intervention in a dream, telling Joseph to take his family to, of all places, Egypt, out of harm's way. Herod, like Pharaoh, was an agent of Satan's plan to overthrow God, but God will not be thwarted. God's plan of salvation through Jesus continued continues and is what we pin our lives and hope on today. It changes everything. Even today, there are huge forces who want nothing other than to destroy the people of God on earth. There are so many countries we could name. We've seen it before and seen it fail. In Cyprus, I met several women who lived the first part of their lives under communist oppression in Eastern Europe, and yet their grandmothers told them about Jesus those who remembered what they knew of him kept the stories alive and they lived to see freedom to worship come to them. They were so full of joy, as they told us. God is at work in the world, even when it looks so much like he's gone away or gone to sleep, and his people must remember and act. I think of my friends right now in Myanmar remaining faithful and desperately wishing they knew what God is doing. One of my friends in Myanmar wrote a beautiful prayer of lament and put it on his Facebook page this week, just really wondering where God is. I think of the way that churches all around the world are under the pump as COVID affects their ability to pay their ministers and do their ministry. It's hard enough here, imagine that, in places of great and right now increasing poverty. They too are having experience without explanation. And must rely on what they know of God, along with the great gift of our age, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what about us? When we can't see the hand of God in our own suffering or that of those we love, like the Hebrews, we must remember what we know of God and trust that He is there behind it all. Like the Hebrews, we'll quite often get it wrong. But this is what we're meant to be doing, seeing that and remembering that God is at work, even despite the most insanely brutal sinfulness of those in power. He is at work even when we have scary diagnoses or lose our jobs or if people we love are hurt or even die. He is at work if we have to flee our homes, if we lose our trust in our governments or if a huge pandemic sweeps across the globe causing untold pain. We may not see that at first, and it will take patient, expectant trust and faith in the God who never lets his people down. And it might take acts of courage and resourcefulness, of obedience and generosity. And let's be up for those. The writer to the letter of the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 12, says this, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. That promised inheritance is a glorious one indeed and let's pray that however weak we feel or fragile our faith seems to be that we will grow, be strong and courageous knowing that God is with us and be people who trust and wait in faith and patience for God's glorious inheritance which will never spoil or fade. Amen.